Welcome, welcome, welcome to the fourth episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls, and it's been a pleasure to talk to so many legends, uh, legends of the game, of the sport that they that they mastered, but also to legends off the field as well, people that have that have really inspired others and everything. So it is my pleasure to introduce this gentleman who uh, is the first uh, baseball former baseball player that I will be interviewing. And let me read down his dossier of accomplishments. He won 284 career games in the major leagues. He was the 1971 National League Cy Young Award winner. He won 20-plus games for six consecutive seasons. That's the longest streak of the last 50 years, and I think that's a streak that will not be matched, I don't think. And then also, too, one of four pitchers to have over 3,000 strikeouts and less than 1,000 career walks. He also had a stint on the Harlem Globetrotters as well, very accomplished basketball player uh, growing up, and he was on the Globetrotters. And in 1991, he became the first and still the only Canadian to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. His book, Fergie, My Life from the Cubs to Cooperstown, was published in 2009. And and he also leads the Fergie Jenkins Foundation as well. We're going to talk more about that. But it is my pleasure and honor to present the great Ferguson Jenkins. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How's everything going? I'm good, sir. I'm good, sir. Thank you so much for your time. I know you and Kathy, your wife, you're moving um, from Phoenix, Arizona to Frisco, Texas. So, And I know you loved Texas. You know, when you played with the Texas Rangers with uh, Dallas, uh, D- Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, so how's the move going? I know moving is always treacherous. <laughs> well, the move has been, uh, been tiring. You know, it, you know, we have a, a decent-sized house. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's we've got two pods. We've already loaded those up, and we have to do a truck yet. So that's what all the furniture. But other than that, uh, moving is a, a complicated situation, and we're trying to uh, basically accommodate uh, what we have to do. And it's it's been it's been long. It's been, it's been almost two weeks. Wow, wow, that's wow, M- amazing. But it's good that you're going because I remember in your book you talked about how you had an affinity for that area, for the Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington area, uh, for sure. Um, and when what the great things you've done with the Texas Rangers. But, um, but wow, there's so much to talk about with you. But I first want to talk about your background. You're a second-generation professional baseball player. Your father, Ferguson Jenkins Sr., uh, played for the Canadian Negro Leagues on, on a team called the Black Panthers, which is such a – you know, a big name now with the Marvel comic. <laughs> right, it, it is. And and you know, he played in the in the thirties. In the thirties, he, he joined the team in nineteen thirty six. They had two championships, uh, 37, 38. Uh-huh. They were first named, as you said, the Black Panthers, and then they changed their name to the Chatham Black All Stars or yes. Colored All Stars. Yes, indeed. And and Chatham, Ontario, is where you're from, where you were born and raised. And um and Dolores Jenkins, your mother, uh, she uh, she was blind, uh, legally blind, and and but but the support that she had for you, and and what's very interesting, what I read, her grandparents were part of the Underground Railroad. That's deep. How did that tradition yes. really mold you to be the person you are today, and mold you to be the great professional you became? Well, my my mother was a pretty stand up individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh. Try to encourage me that what you try to start, try to finish. 
And uh, playing sports was something that she kind of pushed me uh, to the fact that if you're going to play, you go out there and, and have fun, be a great sportsman. But the number one thing, if you start something, I don't want you to quit halfway through. I want you to go out there and try to finish it. Yes. And my dad was uh, the individual that got me into first hockey, then basketball, and then final baseball. And baseball ended up be, being the sport that I ended up being a professional at and, and, and having a, a successful career at. Wow. That, that's almost like, you know, that, that's three of the four major sports. So if you played football, that wouldn't have been crazy that you had done all those I, sports. Yeah, that would have been nice to play football. But uh, in the, And I went to an all-boys tech school. Uh, I think the program that they had tried to, to proceed was football was going to be too expensive with all the equipment and what they had to do with the fields and everything. So hockey was in an arena, basketball's in a local gymnasium and the school, and baseball, there were so many diamonds in, in the Chatham area. So it was a lot easier playing those sports. Well, absolutely. We're here on Where They're At, the fourth edition of Where They're At with Baseball Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game, Mr. Ferguson Jenkins. And um, Fergie, who were your athletic and or social influences growing up, the people you looked up to? Well, I looked up to my father mm -hmm. uh, because he was an athlete. My dad was left-handed. Uh, he was an outfielder. Mm. He hit left-handed, threw left-handed, played the outfield. He had uh, really two close friends of his, or brothers, Andy and Boomer Harding. One was a first baseman uh -huh. and one was a catcher. And Boomer Harding, uh, being that he was a catcher, said, you got to work on your arm strength, which I did as a youngster. And Andy, being a first baseman, he gave me my first glove. And that's why uh, when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a first baseman. Because you play every day being a first baseman. That's right. But not until I was 15, 16 that I think about pitching. And Gene DeGiro was my mentor. Yes. That he ended up uh, being signed with the Phillies. Yes. Yes. Also, and also uh, Tony um, as well. Uh, Lucadello. Lucadello. Yeah, Tony Lucadello. He was from Foster, Ohio. He had 17 players that he had signed in the big leagues. Grant Jackson, Ooh. Alex Johnson, Billy Sorrell, uh, Tommy Norwood. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many different players that, that he had a chance to sign. Toby Hera. Yes. We played together with Texas. Texas. Mm -hmm. He had so many players that he had signed and they all got to the big leagues. Yeah. That showed that show he had an eye for talent. You know, that, definitely. That's that's a great. That's, that's for sure. That's, he, you know, he, he called most of his players diamonds in the rough. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And you were that diamond because you weren't seeing you mostly relieving when you were coming up in the, in the minors and everything and we're going to talk about that a little bit later about about a, a great manager who saw you as that starter um and it's interesting um wanted to ask you more about this is really deep chatham ontario you talked about the diversity there was no tension, no racial tension. Everyone treated each other beautifully. Everyone saw each other's differences as 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 beautiful, enlightening things. But then you were coming up in the minor leagues. I mean, you played in Miami and then eventually Little Rock. I mean, and that was in the midst of the civil rights movement in the early sixties. Yeah, it was all tough. tough yeah. from time to time. How how yeah. did you how did you keep your eyes on the prize through all that? Like all that strife. Well, you know, the, you know, as a kid growing up, you didn't see really 
you know, of boycotting or racial tension, except in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, Chatham's a very small uh, community, uh, mostly farming community, uh, blue collar workers. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think that when I got a chance to sign and I played Miami, uh, another fellow ball player by the name of Freddie Mason, oh, okay. Ferguson, uh -huh. there's going to be there's going to be a problem. You can't go to Miami Beach. You can't eat in certain places. Yeah. And uh, the number one thing is if you want to be a professional athlete, you can't afford to get in trouble. You can't afford to get your name put in the newspaper or things like that. Mm. So I think that the word of advice from, from Freddie Mason really helped me. And then I, I went on to Chattanooga. I really knew that that uh, that something that I had to, to deal with is something I couldn't do anything about. Martin Luther King really hadn't come on the scene yet. Uh, I lived with a private family, uh, Reverend Ribbons uh, in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to Little Rock, uh, I moved uh, into a private home there for, for part of the season. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that you had to deal with, but you had to do it on your own. A lot of times the organization tried to help you, Philly organization. But the number one thing, if you're going to capitalize on, on, on certain things, you have to have your own initiative. And that's what I tried to do. Yes. Wow. And, and, and Dr. King, that was funny. That was a, a little bit before Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, but he was he was already prevalent nationally, you know, of course. But but that I, I Have a Dream speech really put him. I think a, his like, church was really popular in the, the early 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I signed in, in 1962, uh, I was 18 years old playing for the Miami Marlins. Mm. It was so, interesting. It was, it the was same. a trial. <laughs> One day at a time. Yeah. Do what you had to do and play play sports, try to be successful. And the number one thing you tried to tell yourself is that the organization is looking for you to put some decent numbers up. Mm -hmm. And the numbers you've got to try to put up as a pitcher, innings pitched, try to win ball games, strikeouts over to walks. Yes. And I tried to accomplish three or four of those things and just try to let the, the scouts or front office know that Ferguson Jenkins is trying to do the best job he can to get promoted. Uh, the Philly organization had 13 minor league teams, 13. Mm -hmm. So if you had to work hard to try to, uh, to get to the big leagues, it, it took some hard work. That's right. That's right. And it's, and it's different from now where if you're a high draft pick, you you are given the benefit of a doubt, you know, to, to go up and go through single A and double A, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and, and, and I, I started off in Class D ball. Yep. Phillies had four Class D ball teams across the country. A couple of B, C, D, uh, and A, and then you had double A, then triple A. And if yep. you had to, to work hard to get to that particular level of getting to the major leagues, it took hard work. So when I look back at it, someone liked what I, what I was performing, doing the right, the right things. I had a pretty good uh, coach in, in Cal McClish, mm -hmm. the, the late uh, Frank Lucchese. Yes. Was a, was a double A and triple A manager. Mm -hmm. And I also had Andy Seminick as a manager in D ball. Wow. Wow. And, and those are the ones that really put you to, to another level. And also Winterball. I saw you, I mean, you and Louis Tiant, you know, battling in Winterball. Like, and also, I wish I saw that battle where you had that two. Yeah, we, we, had, a lot of, we had a lot of battles. Louis <laughs> Tiant, uh, 
you know, Roberto Clemente yes. was still in play. And then Alonso uh, Cepeda, Tony Alanda Oliva. Cepeda, mm-hmm. Tony Oliva. There were so many players in the offseason that played winter ball. And to uh, to refine your talent and your, posi- your position you were playing, you had to go to winter ball. Yeah. And I think that just proved to me to be a shot in the arm for me because I, I was successful playing two and a half, three years in winter ball. Wow, absolutely. Wow, we're here with Baseball Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins on the fourth edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles. And now you made your Major League debut September 10th, 1965. And it was so funny, the pitching matchup, because you came you came in on, on, during relief, for relief, but the pitching matchup was Bob Gibson versus Jim Bunning. Isn't that significant that – you're a Hall of Famer yourself, and you got to be part of a game when those guys are facing each other. <laughs> well, back then, the number one pitcher on the ball club was going to face the opponent number one pitcher. So Gibson was – was uh, the Cardinals were in town. He was mm-hmm. pitching against Jim Bunning, the Phillies. And I'm 20 years old, and I'm waiting to, to show the organization that I'm capable of doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And I had that opportunity to – to pitch four and a half, uh, four and two thirds innings of relief and beat Jim Bunning in, uh, for my first major league win. Wow. Oh, excuse me, Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. Relieve Jim Bunning. Yeah, relieve Jim Bunning. Yep, yep, absolutely. And and I, I have to say, like, it's very interesting. I, I, I can tell that when the Phillies traded you to your beloved Chicago Cubs, when the Phillies traded you, it was like, hmm, like – I could tell that you were determined to, because it said in your book that you won seventy percent of the games against the Phillies the rest of the way, <laughs> and and yeah, yeah winning and, record twenty nine and six against them. That's right, that fire that you had yeah. against them, and uh, and it's funny the Phillies were supposedly supposedly you know giving up young talent so they can go for a pennant, especially after the collapse in nineteen sixty four, but. You know, they actually plummeted. So imagine if they had you on that team. <laughs> I'll give you some names that they let go. Pat Corrales, huh. Alex Johnson, uh, Grant Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, myself, and uh, Rick Wise. Yes. That was young talent that they had in their organization that were going to be part of the Philly organization, part of that Major League Ball Club if they'd only brought us up and gave us an opportunity to make that squad. It's really unfortunate. We had success on other teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah, and that uh, very much success. That's for sure. And um, and, and but they kept Dick Allen. They did keep Dick Allen a little longer. Yeah, they did. The yeah, great, we were teammates. Great Dick uh, Allen. Yeah. In, in uh, Williamsport and also in uh, Little Rock. Yeah. You know, uh, Dick was a talented athlete. Whew. He started off at third base. Well, excuse me. Second base, then third base, then the outfield, and then he went to first. Yeah. So he could play multiple positions. He had a great, had a great physical uh, uh, presence, mm-hmm. and, and he was a good base runner. And he was a great hitter. Yeah. Imagine him. He should have stayed at second base. Imagine he would have been challenging Roger <laughs> Hornsby for those pounds. <laughs> you know, like, and, yeah. and I, th- I think, yeah, I think no one would have challenged because the most career home runs by second baseman, I believe, is Jeff Kent around 360 or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he would have right. not been able to, to catch Dick Allen. Nah. <laughs> Dick Allen hit over 400 home runs. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Well, yeah. and I wanted to ask you, you were traded to the Cubs, but you were traded to, um, 
to to be under the tutelage of a legend in Leo DeRocha. You know, this man, he played with Babe Ruth. He played, he was part of the Gas House Gang. He was, he managed Jackie Robinson. He managed Willie Mays. And and he really, how did that feel for him to believe in you like this when he worked with or coached many legendary players? Because he had that belief in you as that starter. Well, you know, I, I got traded in 66 mm-hmm. with Adolfo Phillips and John Hernstein. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had asked me what my capabilities were and how the Phillies were tutoring me to, 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 to understand what was the best part of pitching for me. And I said, well, they had me in the bullpen. And, and I felt comfortable uh, pitching a, either long or short relief. And Leo said, we're going to keep you in that position because you feel comfortable and we'll see what happens. So almost the whole 66 season, I was uh, something like 51 appearances mm-hmm. out of the bullpen and the last maybe seven or eight or nine uh, appearances that I made as a cub, I became a starter. Then I won a starting job in 1967, but Leo was the kind of individual that watched an individual play and then he could evaluate what your capabilities were, mm-hmm. and put you in the right position so you could become a winning athlete. Wow! And Leo DeRosa also was was a <laughs> was a force, a spark plug. Well, he was an inspiration yeah. to a lot of guys: <laughs> Ron Santo, Ernie Banks, Billy Williams. Yes, uh, there were so many of us that I think without Leo at the head of that ball club in the '60s, we wouldn't have probably been as good a team. Uh, we're better in 67, 68, really good. 69, we, sh- we should have won it. In yeah. 70, yeah. we should have won it again, but Pittsburgh got us. Mm-hmm. The Mets got us in 69. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And and, and it's so funny with Leo. He also, you know, he, he would drink with Frank Sinatra. He hang, hung out with Hollywood actresses and everything. Humphrey Bogart. He hung out with everybody. Right. Milton wow. Burl. You, you name the, the stars <laughs> he hung out with. And and his, his wife, he, he I'm trying to think of her name now. He married her, a movie star. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm. Her name is escaping I, me. Yeah, she was a great actress. Wow, wow, and as a man, and and it was funny in '68, you went through, and '68 was the year to pitcher. You know, that was the year to pitcher. I mean, Denny McLean won 30 games. Bob Gibson 1.12 ERA, which we'll never see. Yeah, that, he won 23. I won 20 that year. And you won 20. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, I mean, that was a. There was, I think, eight players in the National League won 20 games or more. Uh-huh. And I think there was either five or six in the American League won 20 games. Wow. And, and, it, and so it, it was just part of – pitching was part of the game mm-hmm. because of the fact that we were so dominant that uh, that's why they lowered the mouth. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, for 19, and then expansion in 1969 as well with Seattle right. and Montreal being added uh, and, and everything. And – so no, but also and 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 but another thing too, you lost five one nothing games and you burned you 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 had to you know right at Wrigley burn some of your teammates' bats to send the message yeah, that, was, that they weren't. That was kind you. of a <laughs> that was kind of a skit that I put on. I, I came back in after we had lost to uh, the Dodgers. I had gotten beat by uh, Don Drysdale one to nothing. So I got to the clubhouse early. I went to the batting uh, rack, and they had two or three different racks, and they, they had a tub of bats that were broken, 
some splinters. So I put them in a teepee in the outfield and put a bunch of newspaper uh, underneath it. And I put some alcohol on it and, and fired it up. And the guys were showing up. They seen snow, smoke coming from the left field uh, area. The guys were all running out there. There's a fire. There's a fire. I don't know. The guys were saying, Jenkins is burning your bats because you're not using them. So he's just burning them up. But I wasn't burning their game bats. It was just bats that were splintered or broken. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed. Wow. And a lot yet- of the guys didn't know. They didn't know what to think when they seen all those bats burning and in the left field. Yes. Oh, wow. I dig that. And, and, and it was on the warning track. Wow. And, and Sano and Billy, the guys, they didn't know what to think. (laughs) No, they, they thought that you were sick and tired of, you know, you're pitching with that rubber arm, that rubber arm of yours, like, like mowing cats down and they're not supplying run support for you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's a funny thing. My next start, I lost two to nothing. Uh, runs At uh, home. But, you know, it was, you know, back then, every team that were put on the field had at least six or seven guys that were always capable of hitting 270 to 300 from the Phillies, the Dodgers, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, uh, Atlanta. Oh, mm-hmm. Atlanta, they had a ton of guys that could hit home runs. Yeah. Eddie Matthews, Hank Ooh. Aaron. Yes. Uh, Joe Torrey, Frank Torrey. They were they had a uh, Rico Cardi. They had Rico. A guys. That yep. They were a, a dominant ball club. The Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were. And Rico Cardi, uh, one of the first Dominicans in the league. You know, great Dominican. Right. Uh, one of the first and um, very underrated name for sure. And we're talking with baseball Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins on where they at. And 1971, you won the Cy Young Award finally. And um, you know, it, your mother past um you know not to it wasn't probably it was the end of 1970 right like your yes. mother passed september in, september, september 15th she passed away yes and and you were on a mission that season i think it was for her you elevated your pitching to another level well you know my mother was kind of a staunch individual mm-hmm. and she would always want to hear the results of the games that i pitched mm-hmm. even in the minor leagues uh, i would either phone or write home just to tell her I had a good performance, I lost, or the games I won. And the nice thing about it is when she got sick, I went home uh, second week of September, mm-hmm. and the doctor said, your mom's not going to make it. And I had just, uh, you know, you, you, you're kind of not sure what to think. But mm-hmm. I, I, I told myself, and she related it to me. She had lived her life. She was uh, 52 years old, died of cancer. You go back and you perform as an athlete. I've lived my life. I've had fun. People have told me what your capabilities were. You go out there and just continue to be a winning athlete. And that's what I tried to tried to do. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, and you did that uh, to the fullest. And um, now the King of the Hill documentary is deep. That was really deep. How, how, how that experience, talk about that experience of being shot. And it was a chronicle two seasons of the Cubs, 72 and 73. Right. When the Cubs yeah. Were still at a yeah they followed me around the Canberra crew almost 13 months. Mm-hmm. Started spring training during the season and back spring, spring training again of just putting together footage of 
me performing, uh, getting in shape, uh, playing the game with different teammates, Ernie, Billy, Ronnie, uh, Joe Pepitone, Randy Hunley, and Leo. And I mean, it was it was a fun, to me it was a fun ride because of the fact that the camera crew was following us around, putting a microphone on us, wanting to get some ad libs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And now you're hardly you're still with the Harlem Globetrotters. I love how your book, you told the story, but share, share with the audience about how that came about and, and, and what your role on the team was. <laughs> well, yeah. Lou, Lou D'Annunzio was the, the marketing uh, individual with the Globetrotters and their office at the time was downtown Chicago. So he came to me after the 67 season and wanted to know if I was going to go back to Canada. And I said, well, uh, I play on a 10-month visa. So I have to return to uh, basically to Chatham. Yep. And he said, well, we'd like you to tour with the Globetrotters, about maybe 15, 20 games. Mm-hmm. So they had so much success of me being the pitcher that gave up a home run each night to Middle Lark Lemon. They extended it to 35, to 40, to 50. I think that first year I played about 52 ball games. Wow. The next year, they offered me another contract. I played 68, also in 69. I think a total of almost 180-some ball games. Mm-hmm. I played with the Globetrotters in three off-seasons. Wow. That, uh, now, did you dunk at all? Any 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 dunks? Well, I, I, could those dunk. I could dunk. I was the playmaker. I had a jump shot. Uh, other than that, uh, I was a forward that, that got the ball on the fast break. If I got the opportunity to shoot, I took advantage of it. But mm-hmm. The main thing was the Globetrotters was Meadowlark Lemon, Curly Neal, Leon Hilliard, Jackie Jackson, Mel Davis, all these guys, Cunningham. Mm-hmm. These guys were great athletes. I was just a fill-in, believe me. Right, right. <laughs> but 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 it was a good good uh, a good experience for you for sure. It was. It kept me in pretty good shape. I did a lot of running up and down the court. I played the third quarter each night, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Fifteen minutes. Yes. Uh, of just going up and down that court, running. I was in the odd skit. I did the out of bounds, the referee, uh, the uh, figure eight, and then I was in the pitcher to give up each night, to give up a home run to Metal Arc Lemon. That's <laughs> nice, nice. And um, I wonder now you were traded to the Texas Rangers, uh, 1974, but you came in. With, I mean, you, you, you came in and dominated to the American, in the American League. I wanted to ask you, you lost the Cy Young Award to, uh, to Catfish Hunter. You were, you were second in the voting. You, uh, do you think about now how you could have been the first pitcher to win Cy Youngs in both leagues? But the man that was inducted with you in 1991 was the person that ended up doing that in Gaylord Perry. But do you yeah, ever, Gaylord, uh, yeah. Do you think to yourself that I could have been that guy to be the first to win an NL and AL Cy Young? It would have been nice. It'd been a great honor. Uh, I had a lot of battles uh, with, with the giants and Gaylord Perry and I hooked up quite a bit. And then when he got traded to Cleveland and I was in America, we hooked up a lot yep. against each other. You know, Kathy Schoener that year won 25 games also. Uh, he was on that penny-winning ball club when the Oakland area uh, Oakland A's ended up yes, winning indeed. the pennant again. But uh, it was just part of the vote. He just didn't get the required amount of first-place votes and didn't get that opportunity to to maybe get that, that second side. Yeah. Wow. And you beat the A's five times that season, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I had good success against them. And, and 
when I look back, uh, I'm not sure why I was second, but that's part of what baseball is all about. Well, yes, indeed. And, and it came full circle um, when you joined Boston. Rick Wise, Louis Tiant, all you were the top three pitchers on that staff. Isn't that something Bill that Lee, you all came Bill up Lee together? Bill Lee and Reggie Cleveland. Yes. Yeah, there were some there were some good pitchers on that staff. I thought for sure that 76 season we we had a chance for even 77 was to win a pennant. Yeah. Yeah. And then 78, what we all know what happened with the Yankees with the comeback. Uh, yeah. And and then actually very similar to but you weren't on that team, but but it was very similar to the Cubs in '69, and then the Phillies in '64. You know, like just right, like yeah. Team made Don Zimmer. They had a 14 game lead and lost it. Yeah, in '78. Mm-hmm. But I was still. I got traded back to the to the Texas Rangers, and it's really unfortunate. A lot of those Boston players should have won a pennant that year. But unfortunately, it just didn't happen. Yeah, and the Buffalo head, the Buffalo head gang, yes, right, didn't exist the anymore. Buffalo head gang, yeah. <laughs> you know, like kind of like X and Don Zimmer, you know. <laughs> yeah, Bernie Carbo, Jim Willoughby, Rick Wise, Bill Lee, and Fergie Jenkins. We were the Buffalo head gang. We had the the back end of the locker room, and when it came time to to do a a job, we were always ready to go out there and win. Yes, and we just. We just had that that nickname, the Buffalo Head Gang. <laughs> now, um, later in your well, you tore your Achilles, um, and the, at during that time in Boston, and then they felt that you were kind of damaged goods, you know. Then you turned around, eighteen and eight with Texas in '78, you know, like, right. and 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 that showed, like, it just showed, you know, that heart and determination, not just the mind that you had as a pitcher, the intellect. But that that just that that heart and that never give attitude that you have. Yeah, I had a lot of perseverance. Uh, I had to rehab for like four and a half, five months. Mm-hmm. So the rehab situation, I had never had that experience before. So it taught me a lesson of to, not to get hurt again. Just <laughs> <laughs> the the lower half of your body, your legs are are the the instrument that propels you as a pitcher. If you have strong legs, I think that you could pitch deep into a, a pitching contest and to tear an Achilles, it pretty much taught me a lesson of what I had to do to, to get back to where I was back in the sixties and early seventies. Wow. And, um, and, you know, Fergie, um, 1980, you know, the incident at the airport, um, you know, incident with your, uh, with, um, you arrested for possession of, um, some substance, uh, illegal substances. Um, right. But then, it, it it really the the thing that really stood out to me in the book is that you know that it was someone else's and you were set up and you still know who that person is you know but you will never reveal publicly um, yeah it was a situation where yeah. you know that I think because of the fact that all our luggage is put together someone decided to oh put it in we're going to Canada put it in Jenkins uh, footlocker and unfortunately uh, uh, the pressure that was put on me my family uh, and myself, it, it took quite a few months for them to really understand that their son would not be an individual that would be implicated in that situation. Yeah. And do you, do you feel like, you know, 40, it's 40 years later, exactly 40 years later, and people still think of that. Do you think, do you, um, do you feel that 
is that the first thing they think about with Fergie Jen- you know with that incident like and and it affected well, you with, with the hall the odd too. time is brought up it, it might be brought up but I, I told him the judge gave me absolute discharge mm-hmm. which the record was were stroked uh nothing was was basically uh, a criminal act and uh, to the, to to this day I thank the judge for giving that that particular verdict yes and that, no that's a good thing and 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 you know you were able to still be inducted in the hall your third time and and that induction in 1991 i mean this class you came up with rod carew he was inducted with you gaylord perry one of your great friends inducted with you but your wife marianne she passed she passed months before your induction i mean this the two women in your life that you know were pivotal and, and meant a lot that that's deep that your two greatest accomplishments you know, they, they passed before and they didn't get to see it. So, yeah, they didn't get a chance to, to, I, I think really have the opportunity to, to celebrate with me. Uh, unfortunately, Marianne was in a car accident mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it's a devastating situation where you see your loved one in a hospital bed, not, not able to recover. And unfortunately after 35 days in intensive care, uh, she developed pneumonia and unfortunately, uh, uh, it took her, took her life. Wow. And, um, and, and just your way to deal with adversity. I remember in your book, you know, you looked at it as just, you know, like a, a phase kind of, you know, what happens and, and it kind of te- tests you out as a person and as an individual. And then your three-year-old daughter, that, um, situation, um, with, with her and your girlfriend, Sydney, excuse me, Cindy, um, and you know that it was a suicide and how were you able to to really because it was towards the end of your it was like right after the hall actually so um you didn't have baseball as that way where you can just block that out so what did you do to block out that pain well being uh, raised a baptist uh, my mother uh, was a very strong advocate of of christ and Mm -hmm. i used to go to church sometimes three times on sunday I taught, I taught a, a Sunday school class. Uh, I sang in the choir and mm-hmm. I took my mother to church in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fortunate. I had three daughters that were uh, still at home. Uh, they came to, uh, to see me quite a bit. I think family is, is so important, especially in a situation that is monumental. And uh, when I look back without family, uh, I would have probably have, Maybe lost my way, but family's so important. Yes, yes, and that and that family is which which you came from, and you what you came from, what you learned from your father Ferguson and your mother Dolores, like that that energy came back to you because you exuded that to your family as well. Definitely, yeah, for right. I mean, without family, I think we're, we'll we'll all be lost. And they yes. taught me uh, the right uh, attitudes, and I tried to uh, fulfill that situation yes um we're here with baseball hall of famer mr ferguson jenkins um and and please his book which is outstanding fergie my life from the cubs to cooperstown came out um in 2009 it's still a great read to this day to read all the history and to read the brilliant pitching like wisdom that you blessed your readers with including myself just reading just how you approach now were you one of the first 
pitchers to really approach the game and really start charting, you know, charting starts and charting uh, hitters and everything like that? Were, were you one of the first to really be so comprehensive about it? Well, I think every ball club would have a maybe one or two individuals. Maybe the pitching coach would do a lot of charting. Mm -hmm. But I did a lot of them on my own. Yourself. And I would chart uh, two or three of, of the top hitters on each ball club, especially three, four, and five. The guys that basically hit a lot of home runs or drove in RBIs. Mm -hmm. And then you had to, to basically have a chart on the starting pitcher you're pitching against. Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, Maloney, yes. Drysdale, whoever it was. And in the American League, I had Jim Palmer, yes. uh, Mike Cuella. I mean, there were so many guys that in that era that had strong attributes, especially as athletes. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't do your homework, Sometimes you're going to be you're going to, you're going to lose ball games, so you had to do your homework. I lost over 200 ball games, so I got beat by some great individuals. So when I look back, a lot of times I made mistakes, gave up too many hits, or, mm -hmm. or a situation that got me into a, a losing bracket. But the thing that you have to do is to do your homework, learn that throwing strikes is the number one thing in the game, mm -hmm. and if if you can, stay away from losing innings stay in the winning mode mm -hmm. that's right and get it and learn and learn how to get out of those innings quick oh yeah know, when you yeah, have, base you have a bad inning you gotta learn how to get out of it and not give up a lot of runs yes yes indeed and 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 speaking of that of pitchers to this day i mean i don't it's rare to see a pitcher have 200 innings it's rare to have a pitcher i mean now pitchers that lead the league in complete games what is like like a pitcher will have four complete games or two, just two <laughs> or three shutouts. I mean, yeah. this difference with all the situational pitching going on, what is your take on that? And actually it's funny. You were a pitching coach when it was starting to happen, starting to really be prevalent with relief pitching well, and closing. So I was what's your 10 take? years as a pitching coach. I started mm -hmm. off with the Texas Rangers, then Cincinnati, yes. then Chicago. I think that what, you see now, when I broke in, uh, nine pitchers made the staff. And now there's 12 or 13 on the staff. Mm. So the manager can pick and choose who he can bring in to, to uh, combat uh, maybe a rally or to what hitters at the plate, left, left, right, right. Mm -hmm. In my situation, you had to pitch against left, right. So you had to go out there and do your homework and know what, know what was going on. And so many times... You mentioned I had a rubber arm. I threw 300 innings I think, six times yeah. in the big leagues. And that's kind of unheard of now. A complete ball games is something that it's, it's, it's just not done. One year I had 30 complete ball games. Mm -hmm. Another year, 29, 25. <laughs> uh, the bullpen is really, really, uh, I think, the vocal point of managers. Now, when you see them go to that bullpen, they think that that individual is going to either save or win the ball game for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 one thing I wanted to 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 get on your mind too is funny, but these pitchers are getting injured more now, pitching less. So, do you think like the the whole it's 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 equivalent to like load management, you know, pitch management, things like that? That's a hindrance, right? Because they're not. They're not throwing enough, I would say. Yeah, you're right. They don't pitch enough. Mm -hmm. You know, innings pitched uh, is going to make your your body and your arms stronger. Yes. And the more experience you get, 
I think it strengthens the mind, knowing uh, your capabilities, knowing the hitters you got to face, knowing them in situations, knowing them with nobody on, knowing them maybe with the bases loaded. So your repertoire that you're trying to uh, throw, it could be a slider, curveball, fastball, changeup. You have had that past experience, and you know from working the hitter what's what's the best pitch for you to get them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's funny. There's a lack of, as we all know, because you retired in 1983. Around that time, that's when it was the highest percentage of African-American baseball players. Around 25% of the league was around African-American at that time, in, in 1983 when you retired. Um, but now it's just dwindling. And it's not just African and not just Americans, but, you know, North Americans, black North Americans. What's the solution to get more um, blacks in the game? I mean, what, what What's your ideas and how, how are you looking to do that yourself? That's been brought up a few times and I've tried to to give reporters or give individuals, uh, I think, a healthy uh, answer. Uh, with with the estimation that I think happens. Because of the fact that now you have so many people that play different sports, football, basketball, golf, wrestling, soccer, mm-hmm. uh, tennis, there's so many different opportunities to go into another sporting venue, uh, starting basketball, starting football. I mean, f- football has 50-some players on the team. 45 are players of color. Basketball, there's 11 to 12 basketball players on each team, 60% of them are, are, are players of color. But I, I just think that uh, there's so many opportunities. A lot of individuals are playing golf now, playing tennis, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think the opportunity for an athlete of any kind of talent, they'd like to play another sport, maybe not baseball. Baseball, you have to go to the minor leagues. Not many players go right from high school or college to the big leagues. So it takes one or two years for them to learn the program, learn what you have to do fundamentally to get to the big leagues. And, and basketball is different. Football is different. Uh, those other sports, hockey, there's a lot of athletes, players of color now playing hockey. Yeah. So the diversity part of, of being an athlete, you can do what you want because it, all it takes is good fundamentals, the willing to sacrifice yourself and to go out there and play. Now, it's interesting. Basketball has made a major leap in Canada from the standpoint of popularity. How come baseball hasn't? I'm not sure. The college program in in Canada, where a lot of these young men want to play in the U.S., this is what they do. They want to play for maybe Notre Dame or Illinois. They want to play for another uh, uh, college, and they get that opportunity to be a high draft individual and they go to the United States to play. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, we're talking with baseball hall of famer, Ferguson Jenkins. My pleasure to have him on the fourth edition of where they at. And now the um, scandal that you heard about the Houston Astros scandal, which who is rocked baseball uh, with stealing signs and uh, A.J. Hintz and uh, Jeff Lanau are gone. They've been fired. Uh, this yeah, they, whole... uh, they suspended one year and then fired them. Fired... I think it's yeah, unfortunate your... mm-hmm. that, that you have to 
to steal signs, uh, especially using uh, TVs. Mm-hmm. And you have TV camera in center field or TV camera in the dugout uh, to know what the hit and run is or when the pitcher is throwing an off-speed pitch or throwing a fastball. I mean, the athlete, we get geared to learning the game and, and how to combat that. But now with the opportunity to do it, to get it recorded, I think it's, it's helped the athlete uh, maybe to have a better batting average. Mm-hmm. better fielding average playing every day knowing that uh if i look at this tv uh recording it's going to help me become a better athlete yeah well it's, it's just so unfortunate and back when you were playing i it was all about just observing and memorizing in your mind right with signs oh yeah we, we, mm-hmm. we had a couple of coaches peanuts lowry could he sat in the dugout and watched the third base coach flash signs or watch the manager touch his hat or his chin or, and that, that, that was an indicator that the sign was going to be given to the third base coach, which would relay it to uh, the hitter or relay it to the base runner, runner at second base or runner at first on when to steal, when to take things like that. But that's something that was done manually. Now it's all recorded on TV cameras. I think Boston ran into a bit of a problem last year. That's right. So there's a couple of ball clubs that have gotten punished. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Major League Baseball frowns on situations like this, and and organizations are getting punished for it. Mm-hmm. Will AJ Hinch get another job because he, he is a World Series champion, man, championship manager? I think uh, with with one year suspension, uh, he'll probably come back with an organization, maybe. Uh, a high triple A manager and then work his way to the big leagues or wait for someone to get fired and maybe step right in again and be a manager. Oh, so you see him not getting a major league job instantly. Well, you know, it all depends on other organizations that they want to take a chance uh, on uh, the same situation happening. If not, he could get a job uh, on the shake of a a manager and, and front office people shaking hands saying, we want you to, to combat or to come back and, and, and do a, a fine job for our organization. So, but it's, it's something that could happen. Well, and uh, it's funny, the, the two teams that you play for, the Reds, it, it's funny. Yeah, the Phillies, they, the Phillies, Red Sox, and Cubs won world championships within the last, like, 12 years or so. But your beloved Cubs in 2016 – Right. You, was your heart racing during that game seven? Like, oh my God, <laughs> like, <laughs> if that was tension, but the Cubs came well, through. <laughs> they had the lead and then they gave it up and then they came back and, and uh, recovered uh, well enough to, uh, to win that ball game. So, I mean, perseverance is part of what the game's all about, putting the right people in the right uh, lineup uh, situations and then getting key base hits. Wow, that's amazing. And and how can the Cubs come back? Because you know they they fired Joe Madden, um, they, and they still have they still have their nucleus and Anthony Rizzo and 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 Chris Bryant. But there's been trade rumors surrounding Bryant's name. What what? How can the Cubs be able to come back? There's a lot of turmoil with the front office. They still have talent. Can they be? Able oh yeah, to get, I think Bo uh, will will put a good field uh, team on the field. Uh, he, I think he's got a feel for 
what it takes to be a winner. He's got a lot of people that understand that he's a knowledgeable individual. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got the front office people that are very smart. And uh, I think uh, if they can draw from their minor league system, double A AA or triple A, they've got pitching that's just waiting to show their talent. And it, they'll have that opportunity come this spring, wow. 2020. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting because they still have that talent. That's for sure. They, you know, still got Cal Hendricks. Yeah, they have Javier and, Baez. They oh, have, Javi Baez. Uh, Wilson yeah. Contreras. Mm -hmm. They've got the nucleus of still a great ball club. And I think that the pitching staff, it'll get strong again. And, and that's what that's what's going to win, win, a, win a division for them and maybe win a pennant. Now, to, I'm going to ask you a, a hockey question. Canadians, your sure. Montreal Canadians, what – you know, they missed the playoffs the last two years. It looks like they won't get in this year. How can they get back to glory? What's up? <laughs> well, it, it takes a lot of people out of their minor league system. Uh, a good manager. Uh, players play hard. They, they play a very short schedule. Uh, so they've got to put it all together within 85 to 90 games. And then there's so many teams now. There's 30 teams like baseball. Football has 32. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just think that it's going to take a, a monumental uh, turnaround for Montreal, one of my favorite teams. The Blackhawks, too. They just seem to they're, – they're dwelling mm. on second or third division. And the Rangers, too. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Ranger yeah, you're fan. Right. So. <laughs> Some of these teams just can't – they can't get it together. It's going to take hard work. Yeah, P.K. Subban. He, it's, they're not the same with – it seems like he's not the same without them, and they're not the same without them. Him. No, he uh, he's a great defenseman. It's really unfortunate. He, he's getting traded a lot, so maybe organizations just don't trust him anymore to being that number one defenseman. The Black Aces, I mean, that group, and actually there was a great exhibit, the Negro Leagues Museum, you know, the Black Aces, and, and it traveled as well. Right in uh, Kansas City, uh, we, we've gotten a, a lot of publicity through uh, the Negro League in Kansas City. Uh, a lot of the players are still around. Uh, Don Newcomb just passed away, yes. uh, I think about four months ago. But Bob Gibson's health is uh, is, is dwelling. Yeah. He's got uh, prostate cancer. Oh, and it's getting away. So, and I'm not sure if it's if it's got any better. She's uh, uh, Mike Norris. Mm -hmm. He's got uh, MS. Oh, uh, Mudcat Grant is suffering from diabetes. Wow. There, there's a few of us. Vita Blue, I see from time to time. Yeah. Pierre Richards, uh, Al Downing. Mm -hmm. There's a few of us still out there. CC Sabathia. Yes. Uh, we're all doing. The, we're hanging on there. Hanging on. And and I have someone that I want to play to give you a greeting. Gives you a greeting that was part of the Black Aces. All Black Aces is a group of black pitchers that have won 20 games or more in the major leagues. Here's one of those gentlemen. Here's a greeting from him. Ferguson Ujikis, uh, a true role model, kind of led by example. I'm honored to call him a friend. Um, had a good time with Ferguson last year at the All-Star Festivities in Cleveland. Uh, he's also one of the black aces that I'm a part of as well. Let's get to the pitchers, the black pitchers that pitch to the major leagues that uh, all won 20 games. So a true legend himself. Um, look forward to seeing him very soon. That was Dwight Gooden, actually. Dwight, oh, okay. <laughs> They're giving you a yeah, greeting. We, we, we had I, a few appearances. And Dwight was, I think, two games shy. I think one year he won 18 ball games with the Mets. Oh, no, he won 24. You know the, 1985, 24 games. Oh, he won, he won, oh, that's right. He did win. He that's won the. Right. Uh, 
He won the uh, Cy Young. Cy that Young. Year. Woo! I remember yeah, you're right. as a Mets fan, that's that's why I became into big. That's what got me into baseball. 24 4, 1.53 ERA, yeah, 268 right. strikeouts. <laughs> yeah. The other player I forgot to mention was Dave Stewart. Yes. He won 20 games. That's four right. Four or five years in a row. Yeah. Woo. I mean, talented athletes. Wow. If, if we have the opportunity to go out there and win, uh, players of color can succeed, believe me. That's right. And I want to do a quick segment. Uh, I usually do this with all the athletes for football, for Warren Moon, when I interviewed him. It was called No Huddle Offense. The, um, then for, for basketball with David Robinson, it's called Fast Break. This is hit and run, you know, for, for baseball terms, you know. But I want right. to ask you some quick questions and to give me some quick answers. So all here, right. here we go. So the toughest hitter you ever faced? Uh, there's two. <laughs> Roberto Clemente and Willie McCovey. Ooh, that, and those are both both all-time greats for sure. <laughs> the current hitter your 1971 self would want to face, like a current hitter right now that you would want to face, go in time machine and just throw against him. Uh, Albert Pujols with the Angels. Okay. I mean, well over 500 home runs. 600, um, yeah. Whew. Yeah, and he's got uh, – Something like almost 2,000 RBIs. I mean, he was just a hitting machine. I think Albert Pujols is really, really a fine hitter. Wow. And now, which current pitcher would you give the ball to to pitch a game seven? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. Probably uh, this young fella, Cole, that just signed the big contract Ooh, uh, with big the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole, yep. Garrett Cole. I mean, he looks like he's, he's a dominant individual. Unfortunately, he didn't play that well in the playoffs, but – he, he, what he won, 16 or 17 ball games for yeah. Houston. Yeah. But he's got a dominant pitch, good fastball, good slider. Yeah, and it's funny, Verlander, Justin Verlander, head into the Hall of Fame himself, edged him right. out for the Cy Young, and that was deep. <laughs> right, and, 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 and uh, Strasburg is another young, fine young pitcher that has uh, really, really brought his talent to the forefront. Wow, now. Washington. Well, you're an outdoors man. Um, what's the rarest animal that you've encountered? The the weirdest animal you've encountered? Well, I was up north in, in Alaska, and uh, I seen a, a couple of wolves, and I didn't have a license to shoot them, but they are a very large animal. Supposedly, men, that, you have to trap them. You don't see them that often. And I was very fortunate with a pair of binoculars. I seen movement, oh, geez, wow. eight 900 yards away in the tree line and there were a couple of wolves were like they were probably hunting on their own that's deep that's deep you see i can't i'm a city guy i can't i can't deal with that i, I don't know what i would do <laughs> well I, I like the outdoors i've hunted elk moose reindeer uh caribou uh -huh. i've never hunted, i've never hunted a bear i've seen bears but Never had a license to shoot one. I remember you said polar bears are the most dangerous. Oh no! Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know? you have to you have to go to the upper parts of uh, of Quebec or Manitoba, where the ice shield is, and supposedly they're on the ice shield. Wow! Now the the manager you were most intimidated by intimidated by Leo DeRocher or Billy Martin? Well, <laughs> well, you answered both questions. <laughs> both guys. But which uh, one more? Billy Martin which one was more? the kind of guy that. <laughs> He hated uh, uh, excuses. And Leo DeRocher wanted you to go out there and perform to your capabilities. So both of them had significant uh, situations where 
they would let you know what they thought of you if you didn't perform well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Reggie Jackson experienced that, you know, later on after. Oh, yes. you know, when, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's always a situation that comes up. You can't appease everybody. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, player you enjoy to coach the most. Ooh, coach the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I coached Bobby Witt with the Texas Rangers. Yes. I had a real good fastball. I had to convince him that you can't get players out with breaking pitches. I think he had a number one fastball and a decent changeup. And uh, he came back uh, after a year in AAA and, and put some uh, winning performances together. Wow. Now, go-to dish to cook because you, you were a cook. So what's your go-to dish? Right. Oh, I like prime rib. Woo! Or good uh, ribeye steak. <laughs> oh man, I, I got I got to make sure I get get some of the steak for sure. <laughs> All <laughs> right, gonna, good ribeye. They call it a tomahawk steak. Oh lord! Well, I'm on a fast right now, so I got I, I got to wait. Now, favorite tune to sing other than Canadian Sunset? <laughs> well, yeah, that was my 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 song when I came up to hit. Uh, my girl by the, I think by the temptation. That's right. And now most eccentric teammate, like, I don't want to say crazy, but eccentric. Eccentric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Al Oliver one, (laughs) Joe Pepitone two. Okay. Yep. I'm surprised you mentioned Doc Ellis too. (laughs) Uh, well, close. (laughs) You know, Al Oliver would bring three suitcases on the road with him. He'd have a pair of shoes and a bag to match, to match his suit. Oh, he was, he was a he was a dresser. Oh, that's he's Mister Clean. They call him Mister Clean. Mister Clean. Al Oliver. <laughs> Al Oliver. Yes. Well, and last question of of the um, hit and run segment: Which team will hoist Lord Stanley's Cup in twenty twenty? I think it's going to be the the Washington team. Okay, with Vetchkin, yeah, the Capitals, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they're really playing well. You know, uh, another team. I think Pittsburgh, if they can get their keep their players healthy, mm-hmm. they can get back into the winning mode too. Pittsburgh's got a good organization. I didn't get to ask you. Um, Mariano Rivera had a hundred percent of the vote. Do you think he deserved that, especially with him being a situational closer? Well, when you think about New York and people seeing him perform quite a bit, and the, the number of saves he had compared to performances, I think he deserved. 100% of the vote. Tell the audience more about what you're up to, your events, the Fergie Jenkins Foundation. What 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 should we expect? Well, we started the foundation almost 25 years ago uh, with the Red Cross. And then my mother, who got glaucoma when she was very young, with CNIB, the Canadian Institute for the Blind, mm-hmm. Cancer Research. We do Special Olympics. We do Make-A-Wish. Wow. And Boys and Girls Camps and Boys and Girls uh Big Brothers, Big Sisters, which are very important charities uh, that I try to support. And that's and that's really important. And I'm going to give a shout-out to your website, Fergie Jenkins, F-E-R-G-I-E-J-E-N-K-I-N-S dot C-A, uh, for people to, to check out information on your foundation. Beautiful. And All right. Mr. Jenkins, I thank you for the honor. Thank you so much hey, my for pleasure. joining me on Where They Are. Nice talking sports with you. Pleasure to talk with you. Thank you all for listening to the fourth edition of Where They At. I want to thank, of course, Mr. Fergie Jenkins for joining me, uh, the great Hall of Fame pitcher. 
Also, I want to thank uh, my producers, Nadia Ramdas and Matt McConico. I want to also thank Mr. Dwight Doc Gooden for his greeting uh, for Fergie Jenkins, a fellow black ace uh, himself. And I want to thank, of course, One of One Productions with Fela and Dennis. Thank them for, for this glorious studio uh, that I have the honor to be able to record my podcast in. And also, if you love the music, check out nabateisles.com n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s.com music is from my album eclectic excursions and we will be back with another edition of where they at and it's just a pleasure to be able to talk with these great wonderful uh legendary figures in their particular sport my name is nabate Isles. once again take care everybody bye-bye